Great. Kids, you are dismissed today to your classes with Pastor Jeremiah right down the center here. We love you. We bless you. We're thankful for each one of you. And please behave yourselves so your parents don't have to leave church to come get you. No, that's, I mean, no, that's true, actually, right? Yeah. Um, Blessings to the kids. For the rest of you non-kids, my name is Dave. I am one of the pastors of this church family called Cedar Mill Bible. And uh, this week we are continuing our series, looking at the life of Moses. It's a series we've called Learning to Trust, Finding Deliverance. Last week, Pastor Jeremiah did a great job talking to us about the final plague in Egypt, about how after 430 years, Israel was finally set free, finally delivered from slavery and bondage in Egypt. But today, as we continue the story in Exodus chapter 14, we learn that even though it seems the Israelites are free, there is still more work to be done. Yes, they have now left Egypt. God did so much miraculous work through the plagues that Pharaoh himself finally said, get out. Even the Egyptian people offer them silver and gold and clothes as they hurry them on their way. Yes, leave our land. But today as God's people are going to learn, being free and remaining free is not that easy. Deliverance happens in a moment But it also happens over time. It is a journey. Friends, I'll propose to you that this is what being a Christian is like. In a moment when you declare Jesus as Lord and accept his death as the penalty for your sin and his resurrection as the victory over your death, in that moment, you are set free from the power of sin and death. And then... You'll set out on a long journey to experience that freedom, to fully realize the deliverance that you've already been given. You see, today's passage is about being stuck between two masters. It's about walking in deliverance after you've already been delivered. It's about finding freedom after you've already been set free. It's about working out your salvation with fear and trembling after you've already been saved. Today's sermon is, how does God teach us to walk in the deliverance we've been given? Let me tell you this. Most of you in this room will relate to this text. You will see yourself, I pray, in this story today because although you may have never been at odds with an Egyptian army or need to to cross a sea of water without a boat, you know what it's like to leave something. Something you love, but you realize it's destroying you. Something you hate, but you've become so familiar with it that you don't know what life would look like without it. How does God teach us to walk in the deliverance that we've been given? Exodus chapter 14, we will start in verse 5. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, What have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. 
He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pi-Hiaroth, opposite Baal-Zephon. Friends, the first thing I want you to notice here is how the writer intentionally, over and over again in this introduction, highlights the power of Pharaoh's army. He's saying, hey, before we get into all the God stuff, I want you just to see this situation practically and realistically. Pharaoh's got troops, horses, horsemen, officers, and chariots. Chariots, of course, were the greatest military weapon of human death known to mankind at the time. If you're a military strategist here, you'd say, this is like the U.S. Army Rangers versus Cub Scout Troop 174. (laughs) The Israelites do not have a chance. Friends, let me ask you today, is there a place in your life Where if you just analyze and assess through strictly worldly evidence, you don't have a chance. You don't have a chance in that situation. You don't have a chance with those finances. You don't have a chance in that relationship, in that marriage. You don't have a chance in that job or with that boss or with that coworker. You don't have a chance with that son or that daughter. You don't have a chance to beat that disease or overcome that addiction or get through that grief or move past that deep hurt. You see, sometimes when the pharaohs of this life come with all their worldly intimidation, all we can see is their power and we're tempted to just give up. Initially, it seems that this is exactly what the Israelites do. Verse 10 As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified. Of course they were terrified, friends. (laughs) On this side of them is the sea, pinning them in, preventing them from running away. And now, here comes the most powerful army in the history of the world, and they're not happy. But before we get too far into this story, let's clearly understand something. This moment we're talking about today is no accident. The Israelite people are not here by mistake. If we go back in the story, we read that God leads the Israelites here on purpose. That he has planned and orchestrated this entire event. Then the Lord, this is the very beginning of the chapter. I skipped these first five verses, or these first four on purpose. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi-Hiaroth between Migdal and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea, directly opposite Baal Zephon. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. God knows this is coming. It is no surprise to him. And here is where we find the first answer to our question today. 
How does God teach us to walk in the deliverance we've been given through providential adversity, through difficulties and challenges and overwhelming obstacles in our lives? Now, there is a a pretty big theological debate about how God's sovereignty actually works. Christian theologians have debated this for centuries, right? How does God's control of all things practically play out in this world? Does God cause suffering or does God just allow suffering? Debated in, like, by people much smarter than me. But here is where Christians agree and the Bible is very clear. God will always use suffering. You see, friends, what God knows is that we will experience deliverance when the pharaohs of this world are less scary, less impressive, and less powerful than the power we see in him. Why would God do this? Why would God allow this horrible situation? Why would God want his people to face this kind of terror? Because God knows that his people will not experience true freedom until they trust him fully. That full deliverance comes through full faith. And so here God orchestrates this scenario to teach his people to be more in awe of him than even the most powerful forces in this world. To be more in awe of him than even the most powerful forces in this world. If you're a note taker, write this next phrase down. Nothing reveals our trust in God and can build our trust in God like facing a challenge with God. Maybe maybe the challenge you're facing right now, friends, that struggle that you will face down the road, that temptation or adversity that stands before you is actually an opportunity. Maybe it's a gift. It's, It's the chance to learn to trust God in a way that you have never learned to trust him before. You see, you've been praying, God, take this struggle away. And God's been saying, nah, pray for faith to get through it. Pay for strength that only comes from me. As Pharaoh approached, verse 10, the Israelites looked up and, they were, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? Inflection added by me. What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. A lot of people from our church, including the elders and staff, are reading a book right now by our very own uh, uh, Reverend John Johnson. Um, He's in here today. Uh, Shout out to John. And one of the things John says in his book on leadership is that good leaders, that godly leaders help people flourish. I've been thinking about that all week. That godly leaders help people flourish. And not just in like a cheap American dream sort of way, but in a significant gospel way where you are experiencing the deep 
joy and hope and peace and security and meaning and grace and identity that you can only get from the Lord. Good leaders want people to experience this. Let me, let me just ask you today. Do you know that to be true? Do you know that this is what God longs for you? That he wants you to flourish. He does. But sometimes the road to flourishing leads through suffering. In fact, I'd argue that the road to flourishing almost always goes through suffering, almost always travels through struggle and hardship and difficulty. And when it does, when things get hard, you will be tempted to turn back. You will be tempted to settle for the easier, simpler, wider road, the road of comfort and familiarity, the road of worldly ease and instant, gratifica- instant gratification. You will be tempted to turn back. And this is what we see in the Israelites right here. Their very first struggle on the other side of freedom. And what do they say? We never wanted freedom. Why did we do this? Why did we ever desire deliverance? Life in Egypt wasn't so bad. We should have just stayed there. In fact, we wanted to, Moses, but you made us do this. Which, by the way, isn't true if you go back in the story. Friends, when when times get hard and suffering comes, there will always be a temptation to go back to former masters. Maybe you've faced that temptation. Or maybe you're facing that temptation in your life right now. The temptation to just go back. To just go back to the porn Because it's easier than the fight to be faithful sexually. Because it's easier than the hard work of real intimacy. To just go back to workaholism or perfectionism because it's a quick fix in the struggle to feel significant. To just go back to that focus on your money because, oh, the security you feel when those dollars are in the bank. To just go back to that vacation home or those purchases or those constant trips because the rush of buying and doing is an easy and simple spark of joy. To just go back to obsessively eating well and working out constantly because the God of beauty promises instant affirmation and security. To just go back to the food or alcohol or marijuana, because even though it doesn't fix the pain, at least it numbs it for a little while. To just go back to Netflix or video games or the incessant obsession with social media, because even though it doesn't last, at least it distracts you from that longing in your soul for a time. To just go back to that unhealthy or even abusive relationship, because although there's hurt and pain and trauma, At least you're not alone. And the list goes on and on and on and on. How many of us in here have gone back to former masters? Things God delivered you from, beds he took you out of, websites he took you off of, tastes he pulled out of your mouth, habits that had you bound, relationships that pulled you down, thoughts, feelings, and desires. He replaced with something better 
But you went back because that Pharaoh felt more comforting, more familiar, like an easier, simpler fix than trusting God enough to walk forward in freedom. Am I preaching to somebody today? Stop going back to that master that may feel good for a moment, but will rob your soul of peace when that moment is over. Where, church, are you tempted to just go back? Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Just want to be clear about what Moses says here. The the Hebrew word translated in our passage, be still, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still is actually the word be quiet or keep silent. Essentially, Moses tells the people in this moment to shut up. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to zip it. Keep silent, he says, because you're so, listen, listen, you're so consumed with your own fears and worries and anxieties and temptations that you're unable to think about who your God is. You're so busy talking about your struggles and difficulties and challenges that you're unable to consider what God has done and can do now. Friends, we have to remember that these people have just experienced the 10 plagues. They've seen flies and frogs and gnats and hail and even darkness and death miraculously sweep across the land, but they still, when the rubber meets the road, think Pharaoh is more powerful than their God. They are still more in awe of Pharaoh than they are in awe of God. Church, haven't you learned by now? Don't you know that God is just bigger? That God is stronger and wiser and more crafty and creative than any Egyptian king that wants to terrorize your life? You see, we all need a Moses. We all need a Moses. We all need people who, when fear and threats and temptations come our way, will remind us of who our God is and the freedom he offers. We all need people who will say, get your eyes off of your issues and fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. How does God teach us to walk in the deliverance we've been given? Through challenging community. Through challenging, through Moseses in our lives. But here's the problem, and I'm just going to shoot straight with you today. Most of you in here want community that tells you what you want to hear. That just affirms your feelings and validates your issues and reinforces your perspectives. And certainly there is a place for that. But there's also a place for the kind of relationships where a trusted friend or mentor or leader can say to you, be quiet You're not thinking straight. Your focus is off. You need to get on your knees before the throne of God and hear from him and remember how majestic is the one you serve. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. 
Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. Friends, the statement I want to focus you in on is the sentence, tell the Israelites to move on. In the ESV, it's translated, tell the people of Israel to go forward. You see what God is saying here? He's saying, do not let the things of the past paralyze you. Don't let them hold you down or keep you captive or prevent you from experiencing all that he has for you ahead. Move on. Go forward. My wife is currently reading The Practice of the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. Some of you have read it. Um, The fact that she's reading it means that Every other minute of our day, she's saying, hey, 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 you got to hear this. Can you, do you have a minute to listen to this from the book? Which pretty much means I've read almost the entire book at this point. Does anyone else have a marriage like this? That's a whole other sermon. Um, it's a good marriage. Wives like this are a gift. But, but listen to this quote she shared with me the other day. In the spiritual life, not to advance is to retreat. Those who have the wind of the Holy Spirit go forward, even in sleep. If the ship of our soul is still tossed with winds and storms, let us awake the Lord who sleeps in it, and he will quickly calm the sea. Spend some time later thinking about that. Friends, this is to say, this is not to say, this is not to say that there aren't times when we need to go back and deal with the past. This is not to say that there aren't things that happened in our lives that need time and consideration and conversation so that deep healing can happen. Certainly this is true. I guess the question here really is, where are you stuck? Where in life are you so hurt and wounded and damaged and fixated on what happened that it's preventing you from moving forward into something amazing that God wants to do in your life? Because can you imagine crossing the Red Sea? I don't think you can. I don't think we can fully imagine this moment, but let's try for a minute. Listen to what it says. Try to put yourself there. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it to dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. Now, I know that some pastors in this church have confessed recently to a lack of theological thoroughness by not watching the Prince of Egypt. (laughs) I want you to know that I'm also concerned and I am looking into it. It will be handled and dealt with. Thankfully, Pastor Jeremiah is new and still in the grace period. So um, don't be too hard on him. But it's important to watch this film maybe just for one reason, because... DreamWorks' version of this scene was amazing, right? Phenomenal. This, oh, I thought there was going to be a picture there. There it is. (laughs) This would have been an unbelievable moment, right? At the end of your life, this would have been top three for sure. You know, like there was the time I got married and my kids were born and oh, that Red Sea parting thing, that was amazing, right? 
I mean, this would have been, go to the next picture. There's a few pictures here. Let's keep it going. And just one more. I don't know if this is how it went. But I do know this. What if you missed it? What if you missed walking through the Red Sea because you were still stuck on the shore? Friends, God is saying here today to you and me, don't let your past hold you back. Move on. Go forward. And maybe today, maybe today, your first step forward is simply admitting that you're stuck. Seeing it, saying it, confessing it to yourself, to God, or maybe even a trusted brother and sister in Christ. I'm stuck. I'm stuck here on this shore with this enemy, and I know that God wants me to move on and go forward, but I am having trouble. Friends, we have some wonderful ministries in this church that can help you if you're stuck. I'll mention one, Mending the Soul Groups. Groups for men, groups for women. If you are here today and you have hurts, traumas, father wounds, mother wounds, family wounds, dating wounds, marital wounds, middle school wounds, high school wounds, college wounds, job wounds, if you have any past abuse in your life, MTS will help you go back and find healing so that you can move forward, so that you are not left on the shore. The Egyptians, verse 23, pursued them and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen. The entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea, not one of them survived. Now, I know there's some historical debate about how this miracle actually played out. And recently, Mike Miles, one of our elders, sent me something that I think kind of addresses this question. Helps us talk about it for just a moment. It's, it's a conversation between a kid who's really, really impressed by the Red Sea miracle, and a biblical scholar who has some different thoughts. The conversation goes like this. Wow, Timmy said, God parted the Red Sea and let all his people through on dry ground. Sorry, said the biblical scholar, but that wasn't the Red Sea. It was the Reed Sea, and its water is only about one foot deep. No miracle was involved. Oh, said Timmy, Wow, what a miracle. God drowned all those Egyptians in one foot of water? <laughs> Here's the point. Sometimes we get so focused on how this miracle happened that we miss the point of what God did, of what he's trying to say. And it's summed up in the very last statement of that section. Not one of them survived. The greatest army in the world. All those chariots and horses and soldiers and officers, not one of them survived. Friends, do you see that God has not come to offer you kind of freedom, 
partial freedom, a half-hearted deliverance from the enemies of this world? Do you see that the God of the universe wants your enemies dead? As strong and as powerful as they may feel to you, God wants to wipe them out of your life. Like how Tim Keller says, you know, it's hard for us modern people to read about the Egyptians being drowned in the waters of judgment. We kind of are like, oh, that doesn't fit with who my God is, right? But then he goes on to say the fact that they are genocidal maniacs you know, pursuing the Israelites for an egregious act of ethnic cleansing should calm our spirits a little. Here's the point. Pharaoh and his army in this story are the ultimate example of evil, injustice, and oppression. And in this moment, God is saying, I do not even want a remnant of their power to have influence over you any longer because I have come to set you free. It is for freedom that you have been set free. And this is the point of this section. God longs for his children, for you and me, to have total deliverance from the power of sin in our lives. But the Israelites, there's the concluding remarks. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day, the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared, revered, were in awe of the Lord, and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant." You see, the conclusion of this story is that the Israelite people are now more in awe with God than they are of Pharaoh, at least for a little while. You see, this has been God's goal of this entire event, to free them from their fear of Pharaoh. God, God wants his people to be so in awe, so blown away by his power that they would walk away from all other gods and all other masters and finally put their trust in him. Friends, this is what God is trying to teach you and me as well. Because do you know what's more amazing and life-changing and faith-demanding than some Egyptians lying dead by the sea? A tomb that's now empty because Jesus, who was once dead, is now alive. Do you know what's more impressive and powerful and awesome than, than the defeat of an Egyptian king? When on the cross, God didn't just defeat Pharaoh, but every Pharaoh in the history of the world, all evil, all injustice, sin and death itself, defeated on the cross once and for all. That's top two. That's top one. This is what Jesus, this is what God through Christ has done for you and me. And in chapter 15, if you, if you read ahead in this story, do you know what the Israelites do? Don't cheat, just do you know? In response to this amazing victory by their God, they sing. They sing about it. They shout about it. They worship God to remember who he is and what he's done. It's the first Song recorded in the Bible. 
How does God teach us to walk in the deliverance we've been given? Through singing declaratively. Through singing declaratively. You see, and some of you need to hear this today. Singing is what embeds the truths of God into your mind and heart. Singing is what prevents you from forgetting who God is in moments of fear. Singing is what will lift your spirits when the worries of this life start to press in on you. Over and over and over and over again in the scriptures, we are told to declare the truths of God in song because it is a force against the other masters who want to come and enslave our lives again. Friends, in just a moment, we are going to sing a song in response to this message. This is a chance for you to not only make a declaration to God, but to also speak directly to all those other masters who so desperately want to chase you down. This is a chance for you today in song to say to them, I serve the Lord of the universe. You are no match for him, so come for me if you will, but I will not go back and I will not stay stuck. I am going forward with God into whatever he has for me, so chase me down if you will, but you will not survive. Friends, that's worship. That's worship. And before we sing... Let me just say this, maybe today, maybe today you're here and you don't feel strong. Maybe you feel a lot like the Israelites on that shore, caught between the sea and that army. Maybe you're here this morning and the truth is this, you feel weak, you feel uncertain, you feel lost, you feel powerless. And because of that, you're tempted to think, this song isn't for me, not for me right now. And I'll say, if you can't bring yourself to sing the words this morning, that's okay. The rest of us will sing for you. You just read. You just think. You just let these words marinate in your mind. But if you can today, let at least one word come off your lips this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We've sang it already. We will sing it again. It means highest Praise. God, my highest praise is for you. God, there is no one else like you. The pharaohs of this world pale in comparison to you. Hallelujah, God, you get my highest praise. I revere you, Lord, and my trust is in you. Hallelujah. If just one word can come out of your mouth today, let it be hallelujah, because there's power in that word because there's power in the God that it points to. So let's go out of here this morning praising the God who has delivered us and continues to teach us to walk in that deliverance. Amen? Let's stand and sing together.